How can we truly help the people of Ukraine? This is more than misinformation. This is life and death. Thank you for hitting play on this episode of Fuse from PRCA. My name's Dan Gold, and I'm speaking to you from Canada, a country half a world away from the war in Ukraine. Yet, every day, I see the pain and hear the stories retold by our local Ukrainian community. Going back to the 1990s when I started interviewing people, I can't think of a more important conversation that I've been a part of. And importantly, share this episode so that others can find a route to helping Ukrainian people. Joining me today, Natalia Popovich, founder of One Philosophy and WeAreUkraine.info and co-founder of Ukraine Crisis Media Center, and David Gallagher of DG Advisory and the co-chair of the Ukraine Communication Support Network. I've never known, with all the conflicts that have happened in the world, I've never known a time that has been as challenging or as desperate as as this. Um, just starting with you, Natalia, what are the realities of of Ukraine? What are the realities of everyday life, the experiences, and in terms of how it's being communicated to the outside world, where are the gaps? Where are the stories that are not being told? Well, first of all, thank you for um, having my voice present here and uh, for an opportunity to try and describe uh, to what extent the reality of every one of the 40 million Ukrainians has been disrupted in uh, the days of 24th of February, when I personally woke up to the sounds of explosions in Kiev at 5 a.m. and uh, by pure chance um, had an opportunity to um, leave Kiev, to flee Kiev, and to undergo the experience that so many Ukrainians had to live through since then, leaving your home, uh, leaving everything behind and not knowing when you would be able to come back. And many more people, unfortunately, not just uh, had to flee their homes, but have been, you know, brutally um, killed or wounded or injured. Uh, as of today, uh, the reality of war is such that 183 children have been killed by the Russian soldiers. Um, 342 were wounded, and this is not counting the cities that are currently under the siege. Um, It's the level of brutality, of um, hitting on orphanages and hospitals and residential areas since the very first day of this war that has been taking place now for 47 days. Um, That's been uh, so hard to take on the Ukrainians um, because we had our you know, relatively peaceful life with the war only being in the east of Ukraine and Crimea being occupied, of course, for the last eight years. But there was this feeling that Ukraine is growing and reforming and changing and people had dreams and enterprises were developing and all of that that has been, um, you know, brutally disrupted. And uh, people's lives have been shattered. Um, As many of you know, Over 4 million women and Ukrainian children 
had to unfortunately flee uh, not just their places of living in the central and eastern and southern part of Ukraine, but also flee across the border. Uh, so now they're welcomed by many of the European states and, and elsewhere in the world um, because of the atrocities of, these, of this war that are being discovered to us every single day uh, are horrendous. When the Russian troops retreated from uh, the Kyiv region, what we saw, the number of people with tight hands behind their backs that were killed, uh, the number of women whose um, witness accounts keep coming that were uh, raped, the number of houses that were brutally looted. Um, those are now over 5,600 cases of war crimes that are being documented. And we all can only hope that every one of those responsible will be brought to justice and to the responsibility for creating this tragedy in the heart of Europe in 21st century. We work in, in an industry, in a sector where information and storytelling is used to motivate people, is used to bring outcomes, etc. But what we're seeing in this in this almost non-stop pouring tap of information of these stories, these first-hand accounts that are coming out is brutality, tragedy, heartbreak. There isn't a moment where, as a, as a human being, regardless of where you are in the world, that you don't look at this and go, this is not only wrong, but the sense of bewilderment is enormous. And from me my family and and things that we've experienced through through generations and having to move from country to country to country there's there's an element of the stories that get carried on and the brutality of those is handed on this is a multi-generational thing i hope people don't think okay once there's a ceasefire and everything and a cleanup then you know life will just go on this is going to be generational Unfortunately, yes. And I can tell you that I probably till today am, you know, in a state of shock because um, I, like many Ukrainians, we've seen this before. So this already has happened to our families, you know, 70, 80 years ago. Um, my dad is living in Lviv, Ukraine right now. He's 85 years old. You know, he'd seen bombs and he had to go to bomb shelters when he was a child. You know, his uh, childhood was disrupted because my grandma and our family was uh, arrested and sent to gulags in Siberia by the Soviet power in, in their own day. And the fact that right now in 21st century, all of the trauma is being inflicted again and again and again, that you're absolutely right. It, it's going to have repercussions, you know, again for years to come. Um, in terms of the stories that are coming out, you know, I cannot express enough gratitude to all of the reporters and especially to photojournalists who are so brave and and do um, bring the accounts of everything that's happening to the world media because it's through the lenses of, you know, like Eugen Malaletka in Mariupol, for example, that we were able to, to see, uh, you know, how life is happening in a city that's been under siege for over a month and... And without that, it would not be it would not be possible. Um, and you're absolutely right. I think um, any sort of sane um, human person um, cannot comprehend the brutality of that. But unfortunately, 
as a researcher of um, the Russian media and the Russian propaganda. And I've studied the Russian TV air for over two years in 1718 um, and have contributed to kind of studying the, their methods for the last eight years as, uh, as part of my work for UCMC. I can tell you that they've been dehumanizing Ukrainians for years so that that brutality of the Russian soldiers right now would become possible. Um, they've been uh, saying derogatory things. Um, they've been devaluing um, everything that we stand for as, 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 as you know, human values, not just European values, but human values. And they've been setting the ground for it. So the atrocities that we see right now in Borodyanka or Bucha or Irpin, they have not happened overnight. The ground for them was laid out when Ukrainians were called um, as people who should not exist, uh, when Europeans are have been called many times as people who are decadent that should be fixed. Uh, so if somebody gets this level of you know their superiority thinking, um, this this is how they manifest themselves right now in such a brutal way. David, if I could bring you in at this point, there's there's no two ways about this. This is one of the most challenging events of the now and living history and will be a mark on humanity for a very long time. Not only those who have instigated this, but also from the point of view of how the rest of society, how the other countries, how other citizens of the world relate to this and deal with this. But part of that also comes to how the information is handled to get it to them. So David, um, just explain what's happening at the moment. Yeah, thank you. And thank you from, from my perspective, too, for this opportunity to to talk and, and introduce you to, to Natalia. Um, some of you may have, have read from her before. In fact, my, my decision to get involved with this stemmed largely from an editorial that Natalia wrote in Provoke Media. Um, it really spoke very elegantly and poignantly to the shock of the situation, uh, not just from the, the violence and the brutality of the warfare, but bringing it home as a, as a fellow professional in, a, in an industry that I know as well. I've, I've run agencies. I know what it's like to, to worry about your teams in times of, of crisis. So it really just struck home for me. And if, if you haven't had a chance to read that, uh, I, I would suggest you take a look at it. I think it was from early March or, or late February in the, in the very early days of the, of the war. Um, from that, and there are a few twists and turns, but I'll, I'll spare you that. From that, Natalia and I agreed to, to start uh, the Ukraine Communication Support Network. That was initially with the support of the PRCA and, and ECO. And thank you again for this opportunity to, to discuss a little bit about what our plans are. Another six international organizations have joined in support of that as, as well. Uh, and I think what this reflects is a real interest and commitment from people in the communication space to putting their, their skills, their talents, their creativity to work to help convey the urgency and the importance of helping the Ukrainian uh, people. And, and in fact, literally hundreds of agencies, professionals, uh, corporations have volunteered their time and energy to help make sure that these stories are told and told accurately. Um, and in fact, there were, there were actually too many for us to, to manage at first. So the first thing we've tried to do is, is, is create a database of ongoing projects, um, partly just to, to showcase what is being done, partly to inspire others uh, in other parts of the world to replicate that or simply to amplify the messages that are already, um, the stories that are already being told. You know, every retweet counts, every share, every like counts. It, it brings the story to life uh, elsewhere. 
Um, I think a challenge has been for us, and, and Natalia kind of predicted this when it when it started, is that this is these events aren't moving in a, in a linear fashion. So we have to deal with several different information challenges at, at once. Uh, initially, there's a lot of effort on countering uh, propaganda, misinformation from the Russian military. Uh, that hasn't changed. We still have to, to keep our guard up against that. Um, the the emphasis shifted as, as frankly, as, as events on the battlefield shifted to to raising support and awareness for, for tactical first aid, for people needing tourniquets and, and medical supplies, uh, on, literally on, on battlegrounds. Uh, then there is the need for humanitarian support for people both in the Ukraine, around the uh, in Ukraine, around Ukraine. Uh, you know that uh, is an ongoing and, and, and need. And now I'm hearing from from people looking to the future. And this might seem really surprising, but I find a message of hope here. People are already thinking about what will the infrastructure reconstruction look like? How will we make a future Ukraine? Uh, how will we rise up from, from this? Um, and that, for me at least, is, is inspiring and a message of, of hope. And you have to counter that with all the other information um, arenas that we're, we're countering. So for me, it's been gratifying to see how much support has come from the, from the community. Um, it's been challenging at time, I think, for us to get it focused in the right direction with the right energy. But conversations like this are essential. And I hope if, if people take nothing else away, it's to go back and look at what's already being done, look at campaigns like We Are Ukraine. Uh, we might hear a little bit more about that. Uh, there's so much good information that just needs to find new audiences and, and new ways of, uh, of applying it to the situation as it, it evolves, as it evolves. So with you both coming together on this project and being inspired by Natalia's piece that you read. What was the first conversation like? You're looking at this big sea of challenge. How do you start mapping need? Natalia, maybe you could take us on that one. Well, I think from the very start, from the Ukrainian perspective, it was very clear that um, um, Ukraine does not have everything to uh, win this war and we cannot do it alone. So I think those are kind of the two circumstances that uh, um, we are confronting and encountering every single day. Um, Resilience-wise, motivation-wise, uh, bravery-wise, Ukrainian armed forces, Ukrainian territorial defense, even Ukrainian people, I think, have it all. Because if you see Ukrainians you know, stopping tanks with their their hands or people coming out to raise their own spirits in, in cities under the siege, you know, this is tremendous. And I think with all of the equipment that we have, Ukrainian armed forces are doing, you know, the miracles of defending our, our cities and our civilian population as best they can. But at the same time, you know, the, the first and foremost um, plea from, from Ukraine was to either help us equip better so we can win this war or, you know, they were even originally pleased to um, help and um, defend our skies so that those humanitarian corridors can begin working because it became very, very clear, uh, I think, at the first week or 10 days of, of the war that um, Russia is going to just ignore evacuation agreements and, and corridors. They've been shelling uh, the roads through which the evacuations were taking place. So there was no way to protect the civilians, basically. So the first one is to help you equip Ukrainians who will fight this um, enemy and in this way uh, help to defend not only ourselves, but the rest of the free world. And I think here we've seen remarkable response uh, from the world, mostly 
um, I would say more bravely from uh, the Baltic states, from the Eastern European states, who very clearly understand um, the threat, who've been as part of the Warsaw Pact, they understand the nature of Russia, who is not going to stop over Ukraine, who um, not only wants to exterminate us as a nation, but will go further and will attack further, will will, will be the aggressor um, uh, overall. Um, and then the second one was, you know, to get the level of political condemnation of the Russians' actions and uh, to um, take the businesses away from Russia. So basically increase the cost of this war for Russia to the extent where they cannot finance it anymore. And that has been, I think, the second very big priority from our stance, um, because um I even appealed in my letter uh, to to the industry, if you work with Russian clients, stop working with Russian clients, stop helping them to wage this war against a sovereign and democratic and free nation um, that you have to take a stance. As a business owner, I understand it hurts everybody's profits, um, but I think there are you know, there is time when you have to make a choice on which side you are on. And I've always felt that public relations and communications is sort of like a conscious of any organization that we need to mind the long-term interest of any organization, any client or our own enterprise. And I do honestly believe that right now in Ukraine, you know, pretty much the future of humankind is being decided. If Russia gets away with this, if they go unpunished with everything that they've done, I don't think anybody anywhere is ever safe because the methods of their war are simply unacceptable, I think, to the civilization of the 21st century. So that was those were kind of key two priorities that we've focused our efforts on, you know, help and arm Ukraine and then increase the war on Russia to the extent that's possible. And you've asked me also where the gaps are. I think, you know, it would be an illusion to think that Ukraine... Um, through the lenses of international media um, is is being properly understood everywhere. I think there are parts and regions in the world where unfortunately um, Russian narrative sometimes um, spiced up by the Russian corruption of the local elites, sometimes spiced up by the long presence and their ability to influence these markets. Uh, they continue to be very convincing. And unfortunately, those are countries who vote neutrally even on issues where it's, you know, they see atrocities, but they vote neutrally um, uh, or abstain in the United Nations. And those are the ones where we need to still um, understand better how can we explain it, you know, on their terms, how can we convey um, the importance of what is happening in Ukraine right now and that basically the future of future generations, including theirs, uh, is also at stake here. I think there's certainly been something that we've seen in terms of an eye-opener as to th just the level of misinformation and just the, the, you know, propaganda doesn't start overnight. Propaganda is a long-term strategy. And as you've already mentioned, Natalia, um, we've seen this going on for a very long time, just seeding this misinformation. It takes me back to the book, The Wave, um, which is all about just seeding, 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 and then bringing changes. And then no one sees that it's problematic at all. Sorry. Um, and I've seen some countries that I was incredibly surprised by, by their reaction. I just want to ask you from the point of view of, I, I've seen a level of volunteerism 
within Ukraine and the stories being told of it that I haven't really seen anywhere else. And it's it's in ways that people may not expect. I was reading um, a story of, of a person and I apologize that I don't know their name, but um, they were someone who worked in marketing and communications and now volunteering in the mortuary to go and collect bodies and and really do that essential work to help families get that, try and get that information back together, try and bring closure uh, to some families. This is the reality of what people are are experiencing, and we get to see it through the great journalism that you've that you've said, and we as professional communicators and the marketing profession, everyone coming together has that role to play. But for people, when when they say no, I'm going to stay behind. No, I'm going to I'm going to make you know do this for my country, for my people, for my fellow human beings. And you see someone who's like us in communication, marketing, PR, etc., who's collecting bodies. That's a reality. Yes, uh, I always say that any um, any reality is always stronger than whatever words of propaganda. You know, because in that end, I think. When Russia saw that they could, via propaganda, somehow win over the hearts and minds of Ukrainians, well, the war has already showed and exposed, you know, what Russia stands for as a, as a culture that produces, you know, one monster leader after another and one that is worse than another. Um, and, and that is the reality. And that reality beats whatever can be said via TV or, or you know, social media or whatever. In terms of the level of volunteership, to me, it's not surprising, at least in Ukraine, because I've seen that since the Revolution of Dignity, when the Ukrainian nation rose up, you know, to the challenge of ousting our dictatorial and pro-Russian former president. And I think this was the time of truly like the awakening of the nation where we felt that, no, democracy is an everyday uh, task. You have to defend it um, as an active citizen uh, all the time. And what I see now, I think, um, even though it's extremely painful and, and you know, um, we, sh- we should not be paying that price for it. But I think we see the awakening in the world, too, because, you know, look at even the all of the communication associations that are now supporting us. You know, David is taking time of his personal life to do this uh, together with me and, and so many others. I am... Um, amazed, you know, by the level of response and support we're getting globally, because I think people understand they have a stake in it. They have an interest in this world being profoundly better, morally stronger, more transparent, more ethical. It seems like all of the rules are, you know, changing uh, and, and, and some of the dark places in financial systems, in the corruption, in in, in, in different, so many different areas, they're being lit up. And I sincerely hope that after we win this war, this world is going to be a much better place. It's going to be a very different, um, there will be different frameworks that will govern it because we so badly need it. And I think it's going to take a citizen everywhere in the United States, in Canada, in India or South Africa. So that's why we need to appeal to so many more people to understand what's happening. So, David, if I may come to you, this isn't just thought-provoking. This is pulling at our hearts because we know this is the right thing to do. We want to do something. What are our next steps? Well, I I was going to say, just back to your earlier question, um, what were the first conversations like? Um, They were quite emotional, uh, Natalia, you might recall. We have several other colleagues on our steering committee that are 
in Ukraine or recently escaped Ukraine. And, um, and we had to spend some time just processing as humans what they were telling us, what, what their real concerns were, um, you know, worries about their families, their, their colleagues, uh, whether they'd have an office to go back to. So uh, it took me, at least, as, a, as an outsider, some time to realize this wasn't just another client briefing, <laughs> you know, another crisis to deal with. This was actually happening in, in real time. So um, it took us a few meetings to, to get through that. Uh, I, I think two illustrations of what has been great, and then I'll tell you one thing that I'm concerned about, and I hope that we can come together to solve. Uh, just one example, one of the programs we're trying to, to bring awareness to and help amplify is something that Natalia mentioned, weareukraine.info, I think is the website. It's an English language website that gives you up-to-date information on a range of topics about what's really happening in the country, along with resources that you can share, you can use, you can uh, bring into your own conversations, your own so social media feeds. That was born in Ukraine for the world, and I think that was a great idea, and I want to make sure we keep shining a light on it. A second, just one of many, and this happens to come from an agency that I, I know, uh, was a counter-propaganda guide, a toolkit for journalists, for policymakers, for politicians to understand not just the, the stories behind Russian propaganda, but the kinds of stories that win in the marketplace. So it's not about coming up with counterfacts or uh, uh, numbers. It's more about these are the types of stories we need to tell about resilience, about love of country, about future of democracy. These are the types of stories we need to tell. And that was born independently, but the two projects together are really quite powerful. And that's why I'm hoping people will just take stock of the types of resources that we're trying to make available and, and, and trying to help foster collaboration. Um, what I'm worried about, and, and we've seen this in, in other times of, of crisis, even if we haven't seen this exact crisis before, is, is just fatigue, especially the further away you get from Ukraine from Poland or Romania or Bulgaria or the Baltic states, the, the easier it is to feel somewhat fatigued about bad news that you don't feel you can do anything about. And I think that's something we really need to start thinking about and making sure that we keep attention focused where it needs to be focused, uh, but we find some good news wherever we can about resilience, about the future, and, and start to tell those stories as, as well. And, and just remind ourselves that this story won't, won't pass with the news cycle. Uh, as you as you open the conversation with this is going to last for generations um, as natalia said it could be a crucible in which we make a better future but it's going to take a, a lot of work to get from now to that to that future so i'm hoping if, if people haven't heard about our work or other work in this space that they'll take this moment to, to do a little research see what they can do um, again you, you don't have to come up with your own uh, award-winning campaign, just helping us amplify the materials, the resources, the ideas that are out there and bringing it into your own conversation, your own understanding is a, is a big step. And doing that over time, I think, is where we need to work together to make sure we don't lose focus. I think that we, uh, and disagree with me or agree with me, I'd, I'd love your perspective. I think that very often when we look at these these needs as as corporations, as organizations, as independent practitioners or boutique agencies, we look at these and we go, okay, how can we have our stamp on this? And how can we almost co-brand the ownership of this? For me, I think it's important that people certainly feel that they are involved. But for me, and this is down to everyone individually, for me, this isn't the time to just put a Ukraine flag and have your logo next to it. It's actually to have meaningful action. And that's that's essential. I've seen more than once on, on social media channels, and it's not necessarily people working in, in communication or our space at all, but 
organizations that have made a donation and and godspeed to them for making a donation but i don't feel that this is the time for a branding exercise and to talk about alignment this is the time to put others first and sometimes it's that silent off the side of the desk work that you do whilst you're still doing your every day today that doesn't need to <clears throat> dilute the main mission because every time you go and make it a branding exercise for your organization that is a space that is taken up in that is an opportunity to tell more of the story of the people who are being directly affected by that so that's first thing i i, I not expecting that to be a discussion point. I think we'd all pretty much agree on that. But let me just tell you, just down the road from here, I went out for a walk after a networking session, and it was a very intense networking session. It was it was a great business meeting with local people talking about local issues. In that room, there couldn't have been there couldn't have been more than half an hour of the of the two hour session which wasn't dedicated to Ukraine and it was completely heartwarming with people working in the resource sector, people working in tech and engineering and agriculture and we're all having that conversation. But as I walked away from there, I'm walking down the side of the South Saskatchewan River, I look over to my left and I notice a museum that I've been intending to go to for such a very long time. And it's Canada's National Ukrainian Museum. It's right here in Saskatoon. We have a large uh, Ukrainian community. And I'm very proud of that fact that it's here and we are um, operating with open doors as far as the federal government and policy goes. But as I'm walking down here, I'm remembered of that fact or I'm reminded of that fact, I should say, that I've got a different perspective here because of the size, you know, so far from Ukraine, but with a large uh, Ukrainian population here and the generations and you know you can't move six feet without hitting a pierogi it's it's a fantastic thing but for those places as you were saying in in territories for if people who are listening to this or watching this as it's available as a video as well and there may be in Texas or in um you know Ohio or or anywhere else in the world, Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia feels to be very distant from what's happening. When we look at this as human beings, Natalia, if I could bring this to you, when we look at this as human beings, that moment of this is everyday normal life and everything's happening. I saw photos of an agency just today, which was, this is our office before, this is our office afterwards, and they were doing a walkthrough. What do we say to people as human beings that doesn't doesn't go beyond the pale for some of them, but brings them on the journey to go, okay, this is what we're feeling. This is what we're experiencing as, as people who would go to an office that is no longer there. This is what's happening to our families. Well, I think, first of all, I just want to um, say that when I visited Canada for the first time uh, 20 years ago, I thought it's almost like coming home because every fifth person in Edmonton that I was meeting was, as you say, Ukrainian. And it truly does make a difference uh, when there is a large presence of the Ukrainian community or there is a big history con that connects societies. And it's very different when it's not. And I think there is this process of now uh, so many people in different societies being all of a sudden more interested in where is this Ukraine? What is this Ukraine? What do these people stand for? Where does their bravery or resilience or these reactions or this courage is coming from? 
and um, to that end, I, I do encourage people to try and read more, to read more of you know Tim Snyder's you know work on on bloodlands and on how all of these countries, you know, from the Baltic states towards the Black Sea, unfortunately have had very victimized um, histories, you know, and have suffered, you know, from Russia for such a long time that they, in a way, are prepared, you know, more more immune maybe to, to what is happening, but you cannot be have immunity against that level of, of brutality. I think you need to read and understand what hunger means for us, because when Ukrainian cities right now, Ukraine is known as the breadbasket of Europe. And now in some cities, people are starving. They've been starving because the supply lines have been cut. So what does it mean to starve in a nation that produces so much of the world's grains? You can only understand if you read an Applebaum's Red Famine. You know, of Ukrainians losing millions of, of, of Ukrainians in the 20th century. So for us, it's like to relive this horror of, of everyday life of, of millions of people whom we already lost in the 20th century. When you think of, um, you know, what we're experiencing right now and knowing how brutally Russia not just has provided, you know, spice and, and these residents that, that create trouble, not just in Ukraine, but in so many other places, like the United Kingdom with Skripal's cases and with Litvinenko poisoning and everything else. Again, read Serhii Pluhi's work, A Man with a Poison Gun, or, or, or his work on Chernobyl, to just understand, you know, the, 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 the thinking behind the system that can be so brutal. Because without it, you don't really, you don't really have immunity to even withstand and properly, you know, react to it. But on a people's level, I think, you know, we've lost touch in our team with our colleague who could not have um, evacuated her mom from Warsaw by Kiev for over 10 days. So imagine every single day calling every person you know, every relative that she may have come in contact with and not knowing whether you're going to hear that she's alive or not. And she's like the kindest person of, of, of anyone you've ever met. And for like over 10 days, we didn't know if our Vaselina is even alive. And when she came out, it was like this biggest, you know, celebration of, of our team on Zoom when we finally were able to meet and see again that we are at least all intact. What it means to me, for me to think that 46 days ago, we were planning an event in Kiev in our office, talked to our clients and partners, and now all of my colleagues are in maybe 10 different countries very different locations, and that even the resource that David has referenced, you know, we are Ukraine.info, it was being put together in between evacuations, looking for missing colleagues, crossing multiple borders, uh, bomb shelters, you know, doing things that normally no one was ever prepared or born, born to do, you would say, you know, in, in the 21st century. For us to be able to try and focus on the work that we do for Ukraine, but every time when I open my phone and look to the Telegram channel and I see, you know, somebody like this mom of Vera Mokovi, who had to write on the back of her daughter the coordinates of herself and the relatives just in case he gets she gets killed. I mean, this is 21st century people. This is after Holocaust, after Second World War, after everything, every single lesson that we should have learned, you know, from these past times. And we thought we would live differently. You know, we never thought that we would encounter uh, all of, you know, all of all of that again. So I think on a, on a level of not wanting to ever experience this horror that unfortunately right now has fallen, you know, exactly on, 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 on us and on, on Ukrainians, um, 
but at the same time, we, we don't want that to happen to anybody else. We would love for that to end there, but we need for that. We just need, you know, Russia to back off and, and carry the justice, carry the responsibility for what they've done. Because if there is one lesson that we as Ukrainians can learn from all of this is that if evil is not punished, it will repeat itself. And that's exactly what we collectively as the world, you know, now are witnessing. So we this time we do need to make sure that all of those cases are brought to justice and it's not just Putin, it's not just his leadership, it's not just academics that we're saying sanctions don't work, it's not just the media who are seeding all that hatred. Every single Russian who has contributed to that policy after Crimea was annexed, after um, you know, after war in in the eastern part of Ukraine started, and after all of the so many other you know atrocities that they've done in other countries, that evil has to be punished, and only then we can maybe maybe see the road you know to the future. So on that level, I think we plea, let it end with us. But we need to win because otherwise it's just a horror that will have no end. We're coming to the close of of the time that we've got today. And I've just got like an overwhelming sense of everything in me at the moment. I'm feeling this. Um, What I'd like to do before we leave today is just to ask each of you for your your final thoughts of where we are now and what people can do to get people motivated. You've given some fantastic resources, uh, Natalia, on where people can really read up and get get involved in this. But but David, we'll start with you and then finish with Natalia. I think that feels right. David, next steps. How can people get involved? Where are the resources that you've already mentioned? I'd like you to just repeat them again. And and those next steps for for us as people. Well, I, I think you know tuning into this this webinar was a great first step. So I'm really grateful for everybody who who took time to do this. I'm sure it'll be recorded and shareable. So uh, if you got something from it, I hope you would share this with your networks and and, and your friends. Um, the easiest thing I can suggest just follow the hashtag UkraineComSupport. Support. Um, that will link back to the various resources that we're trying to profile. Uh, we're issuing video dispatches, uh, ideally from Ukraine, from Ukrainians, to give a firsthand situation analysis from communicators to communicators. So that's a good ha- hashtag to follow. Um, I know many international organizations are supporting the project. If, if you can't find resources uh, there, go to the PRCA website and you'll see where we're, we're beginning to, to document as much as, as, as we can. Um, and just on a personal level, I'd say um, stay interested, stay focused on this. I, I know it's easy to get distracted by other things, especially when this doesn't feel like it's impacting you firsthand. But but as Natalia has, has eloquently said, this this is affecting you uh, firsthand. You know, we talked about places where maybe the, the foreign policy directed to this war isn't it's neutral and, and and that's shocking to us that anybody could be neutral in this setting uh, one of the things we're trying to do as communicators is understand the history the setting the context of uh, of this war in in their setting you know in, in, in from their perspective so again as we engage as we communicate we understand kind of what the stories are in their minds and how we can begin to come up with with ways of, of finding common ground so that's something you can look forward to from us I think as a as a as a project, we're, we're looking for specific communications projects to specific 
markets. But for now, as an individual, please just stay interested, stay tuned, uh, and, and stay engaged. And like I say, every share, every like, every retweet helps. Uh, it brings a message to somebody who wouldn't have seen it without you, and they probably feel more positively about it because they like you and they want to see what you care about. So please keep sharing. And Natalia. Likewise, I think that every action matters right now, that everyone is sort of um, an ambassador and an, and an activist for truth um, and for ending the suffering of the Ukrainian people. And hopefully, hopefully, as I said, it will end with us. Um, I think everyone should feel empowered when I say to the employees of multinational corporations that for some reason still operate in Russia, you also have a voice. You have a chance to write to the management of your companies. You have a chance to bring their level of ethics and also strategic thinking to a higher level. I think the founders of the companies will be grateful to those employees or those analysts who are advising them right now to exit and divest um, the market that is creating such atrocities in a sovereign neighboring nation. I think it's extremely important to, in this whole continuation, because we don't know how long it's going to continue, not to get distracted uh, in the fog of war, um, but to understand that until those atrocities are happening and beyond that, Russian media are not Russian media. They're just the extensions of the state and the propaganda and um, anyone who is still quoting them or trying to figure out what the other side said, well, should be first looking into the actions of that side. And those actions speak louder than words. Those bombs that are falling on the heads of the Ukrainian women and children and the elderly, they speak for themselves. So always do that values check before you believe anything or before you um share anything be very careful with the kind of information you share uh triple check on the source and and never be someone who continues to share disinformation because that is really killing um these days and yes follow you know ukraine communication support network and these projects uh, they have a variety of breadth you know so uh, those who feel more comfortable being activists in uh, isolating Russia, this, there is an opportunity to do that. Those who are uh, who want to take part in creative uh, various asymmetric campaigns like um, Ukraine Street, whereas you know we're asking um, the consulates and uh, not the consulates but municipalities of different cities to rename the streets on which Russian embassies and Russian consulates are located into Ukraine streets. Um, it's a it's a point of asymmetry, you know, because uh, Ria Novosti piece of the Russian Federation has stated it very clearly. They're going after extermination of the nation, of the identity, of the culture, of everything. And the only way to remind that we exist, that we choose to be, uh, is to make sure that we are present uh, everywhere else. Um, so there are different things you can join, but please do something. You know, take it as a as a, your contribution to the safety and the lasting peace of Europe and the world, because right now it's being decided in Ukraine. Thank you very much for this opportunity. It means a lot, and you know, we we will remember all of our friends in need, uh, especially in a time like this. Thank you for listening. I have no words. This has been 
a tough conversation, but a very important one. We need to combat any fatigue around this story that may creep in. So please keep this front of mind and remind others that this is still going on and it's important that we do something.